Hi, this is the Dissy Condition. I am Shima. And I'm Tanushri. And this podcast is about mental health issues that we see that are prevalent in Desi culture in our everyday lives. This episode is actually going to be uh, focusing on anxiety and all the different types of ways it can appear in our lives and the impact it has on Desi families, Desi culture, and the overall diaspora. Yeah, and just to recap for those of you who have, who have been with us these last few episodes, the last episode we were talking about codependency and how it relates to the Desi condition. We explored the ubiquitousness of codependency in Desi culture and how it can lead to a toxic family dynamic. We think exploring our history is a great way to really dive into why our current condition is the way it is and of course codependency is very interrelated with anxiety and that's what we're going to discuss today we also mentioned last time that our parents never talk about how they went through a war and that that rubs off on us and so that can really lead to a whole bunch of stuff um, like Shima mentioned before and in this case there's you know some anxiety from PTSD from a toxic environment and so much more and we think that we need to address it yeah so we're going to start off with a definition of anxiety although I'm sure everyone has an idea of what it means to them and how it affects them but basically it's an intense excessive and persistent worry about everyday situations there can be physical symptoms like rapid heartbeat sweating and things like that but we're talking about the overall concept of anxiety and how it pervades our lives on a regular basis and specifically relating to Desi culture Oh, so basically you're describing me every day that I exist. <laughs> All right, so anxiety in terms of Desi family dynamics. You see a lot of people, especially in immigrant families or first and second generation families, there's this sense of anxiety that is passed on from parents to children. And it, a lot of times it doesn't really make sense because if you think about it, their anxiety may have stemmed from their experience growing up in a different time and place. And then they're passing it on to their kids kids who are also, you know, growing up in a totally different time and place than they did. So it ends up being very confusing for them because it's not a reaction to their immediate environment and their everyday lives. It's more a reaction to the memory of their parents' memory of or their relatives' memory of what everyday life consisted of and the feelings and emotions that came along with it. Yeah, and there's like an added pressure, I think, with this kids because, you know, we have we have the added anxiety of trying to preserve the family's honor in regards to parental pressures and etc. Also having to lie about everything we do as kids growing up. <laughs> I read something online that said how st- extremely strict parents can actually cause their children to be better liars. They- <laughs> Oh my god. (laughs) Sorry, because me to a T. Like, I'm way too good at lying. It's really bad. This is not something that should come naturally for me. And and it became something that's just I mean, it's too easy. Yeah, I think that, especially because it's, it's really interesting because, you know, a lot of Dissy families, they, or at least in my family, we I grew up with a very strong sense of what's right and what's wrong. Lying, cheating, doing wrong to others, hurting people, that's wrong. Yeah, for the uh, record, I don't lie to anyone but my parents. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, so... Like, I'm a good person. I just want you guys to know that. Yeah, of course you are. And, <laughs> Thank you. I mean, we're all good people, but it's just, like, kind of accepted. You you have to lie to your parents, especially for, I think, adolescents and mm-hmm. teenagers and young adults who are living in maybe more strict families or more yeah. conservative families. And so they feel like that's just something they have to do, and it's not really with the intent of deceiving, because I think that's where the negativity comes from. Because, like, if you lie to someone or if you lie about something that the the whole the negativity comes from deception Mm -hmm. deceiving someone or being deceived but in this case it's kind of almost like kids are or at least when I was growing up and I would not tell my parents maybe that I'm going out with friends to see a movie instead I'll be like oh I'm studying for this exam that I have tomorrow it was more just like me trying to protect my parents from having to deal with the negative feelings of of their kids not living up to their expectations because like I already understood that their expectations are just not realistic for our lives here so it was like more of me trying to protect my parents from just like dealing with things that I knew would cause them cause my my mom a lot of distress if she knew I was like going out with friends and stuff at that time you know when I was 14 15 years old she really she was very protective of me and it's kind of like my response to her overprotectiveness was also kind of a sort of protectiveness as well and so that's I think an example of how anxiety can kind of be exacerbated over time through generations one generation's anxiety can then exacerbate another generation's and it can like kind of ping pong back and forth and just eventually kind of become the cesspool of just anxiety and confusion that's really hard to navigate through and kind of even hard to put your fingers on what exactly is going on in this family or in this society or in this culture yeah and also remember that our parents just come from a totally different background so like what you were saying about protecting your parents I remember I had to lie about good things that I was doing. For example, I was on swim team, but I lied about it and said that I was staying after school for math team, which I was on math team actually (laughs) in high school. But I was also on swim team, which was after school. Yeah. But I didn't want to tell that to my dad because that's not seen as something that's essential. But I know that being on swim, first first of all, like swimming brings me joy. It's also really good for college applications, but that's not something that like, you know, my dad necessarily understood. So I just said, you know what? I'm doing more math because that's going to help me with college. Yeah. And I mean, I have an example of that too. I think um, when I was my senior prom, <laughs> I my parents <laughs> understood that like it's a party for graduate graduating seniors and stuff but they didn't really understand like why would kids need to have this whole night of just fun just to hang out with each other and dance and dress up and stuff like their their whole thing was what's the function of this so I kind of had to like tell them oh okay it's a school party and pretty much anything I did I think that didn't directly have to do with school I still needed to kind of make it seem like it was something having to do with school because I just knew that they would be more accepting of of me doing these things and it was just like for me to have my own sanity and like be able to have normal social interactions and like just have friends in high school um and when I was younger I kind of had to I it was not so much lying as it was protective padding for their anxiety (laughs) so I think this is when like I realized when I was really young that I needed to (laughs) kind of like provide this protective padding for my parents because um I was in I was in junior high school and my it was my best friend's um bat mitzvah and she had invited the entire class in our junior high school and I had a crush on this boy who I mean I guess we had like a crush on each other 
And the thing is, my mom, she didn't, <laughs> she insisted on being there with me at the bat mitzvah. <laughs> oh, so, no. yeah, so she, so it was just so awkward. It was like, it was like my entire junior high school class and like friends like there to have fun, you know, because it was a birthday party and a celebration. And then like me and my mom and <laughs> it was just like I remember um, this boy that I had a crush on tried to dance with me and I was just like oh my god like my mom is watching and I was just so awkward <laughs> about it and then after that I think after that I realized okay like, I don't think that I can bring my mom to all of these events or if she really knows like you know this is just for fun like they're not she's not really gonna be okay with it or she's gonna have this like anxiety and like doesn't want me to stay as long I think that was the experience that kind of like, taught me I can't tell my parents if I want like a normal social life I can't really tell my parents every single detail about it as I would maybe want to because you know like obviously being able to share what you're doing with your parents is going to help you build a better relationship with them that is part of having a healthy relationship with anyone being able to share yourself and the things you do and your interests and likes and activities but it just was not really possible (laughs) because of just extreme cultural tension so or... wait, what happened with that boy? Oh, <laughs> um, I mean, I don't think anything ever happened after that because he probably thought I didn't like him. Oh yeah, so it was like my first, away. the one that got away, <laughs> my first tragedy, <laughs> my first uh, romantic tragedy in life. That was definitely a time that I realized that my parents have a lot of anxiety about me being in uh, or sometimes maybe they even like because they themselves would feel anxiety in certain situations maybe they assumed that I would also feel that way and so it was kind of um way for me or as I grew up I, I started to understand that I have to kind of frame things in a certain way that wasn't always completely the truth so that they'd be okay with me going out and like having a social life yeah I think they feel a loss of control frequently which can lead them to feel like they need to monitor everything that you're doing all the time and of course that's linked with anxiety and feelings of insecurity you know we we talk about the war and the partition all the time if you think like Bangladesh has been a country for like 40 years 50 years like yeah that long yeah ago. and I mean someone was literally trying to control where they live and literally what language they speak yeah so it's like yeah how, how of course you feel out of control yeah just to summarize basically Bangladesh used to be East Pakistan so there was Pakistan and then there was India and then there was um, that's how the geography went and then there was India was in between Pakistan and East Pakistan and the people of East Pakistan kind of just I mean they spoke Bengali and they wanted to speak their that was their native language they wanted to speak it and eventually it was something that the Pakistani government tried to force people to speak Urdu and that's kind of what started the drive the need the movement for independence for Bangladesh and so like that's very if you think about it how extreme is that that Mm -hmm. someone is trying to control the language that you speak you know language is like something that is so innate within humans A, a child can be born in any part of the world and then be taken somewhere else and that child will learn how to speak the language of the people around them right so it's kind of they were telling people of East Pakistan that or that is now Bangladesh that they needed to speak a language that did not come naturally to them that they didn't hear around them 
all the time and that kind of just like wasn't a part of who they were that extreme sense of of someone trying to take that control away of of like how you communicate I think that's something that definitely left a huge mark on the people of Bangladesh because it's you know that's like a very basic aspect of life communicating and language and, and being able to talk to people so my family is an immigrant family and I actually was born in Bangladesh and when I came here I, I was four years old and so my first language is, was Bengali and I I think over time when my parents started to see that English was more of became the language that I was more comfortable in um, speaking to my siblings every day or even to them you know like I'd speak to them in English but they'd respond to me in Bengali because they'd understand but still felt more comfortable speaking in, in Bangla so I think over time as they witnessed my first language being Bengali and then English being the language that I was most comfortable speaking I think that was one of the reasons why they were they were very strict with me because I think they felt a loss of control over yeah. not just in their own lives kind of how their family would be how their family was because yeah, my it parents w- used to not answer me unless i would talk to them in bangla oh my god sometimes really i could literally be like oh my god fire <laughs> and they wouldn't answer me I'd have to be like, I don't know. Yeah, no, I know sometimes if the, if I was ever like having um like an, a disagreement with my dad specifically, I think there there would be like a point where he'd get mad. And if I sp- if he was at that point of being mad and in the middle of a disagreement, and I spoke to him in English, he uh-huh. would it would just like flip a switch. Like it would be like it would be like the most disrespectful thing I can possibly do to him, like talking yeah. to him in English rather than in Bangla. So it <laughs> so. was probably hard for you growing up, uh, coming here, and you, you know. You, you go to school you got here when you were four you said right yeah so that means you started school soon after yeah um, and Bangla's your first language so you don't really know English and I'm sure that kind of impacted your feeling of insecurities and therefore anxiety oh yeah levels. um absolutely I mean, I, that kind of stuff stays with you it definitely does and I remember um I remember like not being able to communicate you know yeah. when I started kindergarten and stuff feeling out of place and just like being you know made fun of for like, the way I pronounce certain things when I first mm-hmm. started learning English and I I also remember being an ESL kid. Um, thank God for ESL. Mm-hmm. I remember being an ESL kid and that also being something that separated me from the rest of the students in my class. But regardless, you know, eventually English did become something that I was very comfortable with and the more dominant language in my life. And then I think as my parents witnessed this whole process happening, they really began to become actually more strict with us following certain customs and certain traditions that that we did because I think the feeling of losing control over their family, over their children, and over their own lives, I guess, made them more anxious people and and made them I guess like find ways to cope with that anxiety or I guess being strict as parents was the result of them coping with losing control over us their kids if you think about it it's also a fear of rejection that the fear that they would be rejected by their children or their culture would be rejected by their children who are now Americans yeah yeah definitely and so I mean another aspect I think of anxiety that is very 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 common in Desi culture is social anxiety. I think having ancestors who are not from the land that you're living in or even previous generations of your family have lived in, that in itself I think creates a sense of imposter syndrome, feeling like an outsider. Growing up I was kind of seen as like the 
shy kid. People said, oh, she doesn't really talk a lot. It was, oh no, she's just really shy, but that's not, you know, as I grew up, I realized that's not really what it was. I'm not naturally a shy person. I'm actually a pretty extroverted person, but my shyness was really just like social anxiety from being separated from my family members in Bangladesh who I had grown up until I was four years old around and from not just not being you know in in my country that I was born in because I do like I have very strong memories of just what my home was and the people in my family and stuff like that I think definitely I started developing social anxiety and that literally impacted my personality and did the way that my personality was perceived by other people which then kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy if people are constantly telling you that you're a shy kid as a child you're gonna be like oh okay I guess I'm a shy kid and then that is going to impact your personality. I was like pretty shy until I was probably like a teenager when I when I guess like I started coming out of my shell and then you know just like listening to my mom telling me stories of things I did and the way I behaved or interactions I would have. Funny anecdotes of when I was a kid growing up in Bangladesh it kind of it clicked me that oh like I don't think I was ever a shy mm-hmm. kid. It doesn't seem that was my natural personality as a child. Anxiety. Yeah I think yeah. me yeah. being like a shy person was kind of because I was just just anxious of immigrating to the US and like different and being an outsider. I internalized that and then it's almost like I became a shy person when I really wasn't and that affected my life up until now. I kind of fall back into that very familiar feeling of being an outsider and being uncomfortable. So I think it's just like so so interesting that something as simple as someone telling you that you're shy or kind of misdiagnosing something psychological, misdiagnosing it, mislabeling it and then how having that affect your personality and essentially your life afterwards. Yeah, I mean, because you're conditioned that way. I mean, so I definitely was a shy kid. I still think I'm a shy person, but I also had anxiety and particularly social anxiety. And now that I'm older, I realize that I I, I used to conflate the two. Mm -hmm. And now that I'm older, I realize that those things are really different. And so I think it's really important to try to recognize the signs in a kid who's shy versus a kid who's having anxiety. When you're a kid with anxiety, it manifests itself in certain physical ways too. Like if you're just a shy kid, you're probably not up all night because you're feeling anxiety, you're like sleeping like kids sleep. But if you're having anxiety, maybe you're not sleeping right or it, it shows in your body language if you have anxiety sometimes. Your body doesn't lie. It'll move away from the person that who was trying to talk to you or interact with you. Lack of appetite, um, nausea. Like I, I distinctly remember getting hot flashes. I still do if I'm getting anxiety or trouble breathing. Like these are some like really, because when you're three or four years old and your parents are not equipped with knowing how to identify anxiety versus shyness I just want to point these things out that you know this is how you identify in a little kid because a little kid definitely doesn't how to identify those yeah and then if they're then like not taught how to identify them or if they're basically mislabeled like these things are mislabeled it's gonna kind of have a snowball effect yeah I mean think about I didn't know I had an anxiety issue until halfway through college that wasn't that long ago so because mental health is such a taboo in a lot of these homes it's even like more difficult to recognize anxiety and social anxiety much less treated and I think that's part of the reason why we decided to focus on anxiety in this podcast because like we've said in our previous episodes and obviously we're going to keep reiterating that we really want to open up the conversation create the beginning of a dialogue for people to just casually talk about these things that are so prevalent in their lives and maybe they're not even aware of it just bringing awareness to something is like such a huge 
huge step in maybe overcoming the negative consequences of that thing. That's kind of like why we wanted to focus on anxiety and social anxiety. And then another thing is that Disney culture, by its nature, I guess, it's very children, like there are certain expectations of children that like children are expected to be very obedient, very respectful, um, never really like speak up against anything, even if they're right about something, it's not really. Yeah, so um, some symptoms of shyness and, and anxiety are, are seen as. Or like conflated oh, with. They're conflated with each the ex- other. And expectations of, of the culture itself. Yeah, so it's like, oh, like that's a very obedient. Right. Or like that. But it's like, it's, o- it's almost, okay, a kid who is like really obedient can that can be like mislabeled as shy, right? I was a really obedient, really respectful kid, but I wasn't shy. I was just labeled as shy because those were the things my parents saw in me. Yeah, and but you had this inner turmoil that they right, couldn't right. identify. Yeah, yeah. Um, or I guess it's discomfort. Like I always, the way that I was able to identify it was just understanding that I'm not from here and I am, at, at least in the beginning, that I, I am an outsider. And I think in a lot of situations where I am maybe uncomfortable or I'm not um, around people that I naturally click with, it's really easy for me to fall back into that feeling of being an imposter, being an outsider. Even though logically, I mean, I've spent my whole life here, you know, growing up in New York City and there's absolutely no reason for me to feel that way. You know, I was educated here and I, like I'm actually very happy and proud to be a New Yorker and I'm very grateful too that my parents brought me here so that I have a lot of the, I can even like have awareness and the the type of cognition that I have having grown up here is I think very different from what I would have had growing up in Bangladesh you know even if I was like just as educated and just as you know exposed to to things yeah yeah Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. I remember my first anxiety attack I remember I was four years old and uh, I was sitting in the apartment on the couch just like in front of the tv and acting like I didn't I, I wasn't dying to watch Barney, but actually I was. And I really could have just asked my mom to turn on Barney for me. And I remember she told me she used to purposely not do it to see if I would ever ask because she was like, <laughs> why, are, why is this girl like not talking, not asking? She didn't realize. Like, yeah. She just thought I was being shy, but yeah. she didn't realize that I had like some anxiety about it. And really, like, there's no reason. I'm not scared of my mom. Like, My yeah. mom is the dopest, nicest human. Uh-huh. And it's not like she's probably not going to say no if a yeah. kid wants to watch Barney. Right. Um, but like for some reason, I just had all this anxiety about it. I mean, that's also like a fear of what you were saying, like a fear of rejection. A fear of, of rejection, like, yeah. Of, of hearing the no. Yeah, but I, I, I do think I also just have like a pathological anxiety. Uh, and some people have anxiety that comes from no fear. They just, they, they get these physical symptoms. This get, they get this physiological response. Right. Um, and there's not necessarily a trigger for it. And that's also a totally valid form of anxiety. Some people just have an anxiety disorder. Right. Or, I mean, I guess something that is more genetic or yeah. has to do with the biochemistry of your of your body. Because, yeah. um, like, I mean, anxiety in, in the way that you're mentioning it, the body does have physiological responses to, I guess, dangerous situations. And that's just a way, that's just, like, something built innately in humans and actually just all living things, like a protective mechanism. and it's known as fight or flight response right if you're what you're mentioning right now is a lot of the physical symptoms Mm -hmm. and not even you're thinking you're saying that like you don't 
necessarily have like something that triggers you like not really like any type of trauma it could just be your body's nervous system being overstimulated or just having naturally being more sensitive to stimulation so it's actually flight fight or freeze i think i'm a freeze type (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm not a flight person either either freeze or fight i agree i'm the same way i'm i either freeze and i don't know what to do or but for the most part i'm more of a fight person like i will stand up for myself and i will and i think actually developed over time because you know i when i came here and i was you know didn't know how to speak english and stuff i did experience people bullying me or kids bullying me and stuff like that and over time you just kind of or i developed i guess like an ability to defend myself and um and sometimes even i think i would like overcompensate with being aggressive when i didn't even need to be or not extremely but i would be more aggressive than i needed to be because i felt like i'm defending myself it's not even something that it like my feeling of needing to defend myself felt was so strong that that made my response strong strong, yeah yeah it was actually disproportionately strong i honestly this is my own personal opinion but i think almost like an inherent ptsd that comes from being uh, a desi living in the diaspora and a lot of it you know really does stem from the occupation and colonization that's that's essentially the loss of control over everything in your life in your country in your homeland in the place where you feel secure and content and happiness and etc etc right this was essentially an invader coming into their homes and telling them what to do that whole concept right now in our minds seems so inconceivable but it was such a big part of uh, the history of the subcontinent that India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, like all these countries that went through the occupation, there's, I think, the people, you know, whether whether or not it was their ancestors or like there might have been many generations in between that didn't experience that, it's still in our history. It's still... Um, it's in our parents who never talk about it and then it rubs up on us. Yeah, definitely. We are more naturally prone to yeah. being an- to being anxious, especially if then there's, you know, further ne- negativity that you experience or further abuse or further trauma and sometimes those things manifest in a toxic family environment and so then that's the reason that some kids are more inclined to a flight fight or freeze mode that they're always in anxiety can be it's very debilitating and it can have such a negative impact on someone's life you know it'll impact relationships self-esteem career and and just like overall quality of life and so i think we're now at this stage in the modern world where we as Daisies should definitely try to find ways to improve the quality of our lives right overall as a society and understanding anxiety and also learning how to deal with it learning how to cope with it and kind of knowing just like how tracing it back to your life and your ancestors that's that's what's gonna like help us like create like a better quality of life for ourselves you know living in the modern world pass this on to the kids and continue the cycle what really bothers me is when you do acknowledge anxiety Mm -hmm. that you have that in yourself and then you try to talk to you know someone from our parents generation about it Mm -hmm. who was also busy and they become dismissive 
Yeah. That's, I think, the hardest thing to deal with. I think so, too. And I think it's like, it's not even that they're dismissing that emotion because, of course, I'm 100% sure that they feel that, that emotion, too. Because yeah. it, it, you know... But I also think it's just so normalized for them sometimes. Yeah. Maybe they're desensitized to it. Also, they're probably not used to even labeling it as something. Oh, this, maybe, because I know, like, you know, when my mom is anxious about something, you know, she'll just be like, I'm not feeling well, right? Like, her feeling of unwell... Whether it's anxiety or whether she is actually physically unwell, like she has the flu or she has a cold or a migraine or something, like everything is encompassed in her feeling, mm-hmm. saying, I don't feel good. I don't, I'm sick, right? Her con- her conception of being sick involves like any bad feeling that she has, whether it's physical, um, psychological, or, you know, emotional. Everything is encompassed in that. I think it's not even that they're dismissive of... I don't think they're even capable of being dismissive of the emotion itself. They're more just dismissive of this foreign concept that you label specific feelings in a specific... Just labeling negative feelings more specifically is something that I don't think a lot of our parents are used to or maybe like the older generation just it hasn't like been exposed to well when you're just trying to survive you're you don't have the luxury to put labels on every emotion that you have yeah yeah and that that's a hundred percent true it sucks to call it a luxury but that's essentially what i mean if you if you can't anything can be a luxury to yeah yeah, anything can really anything that is past basic surviving like survival needs it is is a luxury right yeah yeah Yeah. and when you think about it i mean so many so many people yeah so many of the the people living in in the world today don't have those things Mm -hmm. um you know so it's like anything really like running water something so basic for us in first world countries is an extreme luxury for people living in third world countries where they have like no access to um just like basic human needs yeah basic human needs um i think like the hardest part of our parents not acknowledging our anxiety or our pain whatever the condition is is the fact that maybe as a teenager I don't know what to do next I feel like I can't go see a therapist I can't like go see a psychiatrist I can't like, really talk to anyone I, I, I mean I shouldn't even talk to my friends about it because what will people say oh yeah um, what will what will people think what will people say yeah um, yeah and so I mean I go to psychiatry in secret like my dad doesn't know I do that <laughs> I tell him that I'm at the allergy doctor which isn't actually a bad lie because I do have really bad allergies <laughs> but yeah it's kind of a crazy thing I have to lie about it's like when I was in college and I would skip class to do homework <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that was that was I remember um I mean for me that was in in high school actually I would like skip one class to study for like another classes you know it's like you think you're doing something bad but actually you're doing something good right right (laughs) or like the I guess like in your head like the ends justify the means but you're still plagued with this feeling of guilt because it's like just something that is like really ingrained in us I don't feel bad about missing lectures though like I learned from my textbooks I don't feel bad about cutting those classes I mean I did well on those exams because I cut those classes (laughs) yeah I think also like what's um, now that we're like talking about, you know, feeling guilty about certain things, I think like a lot of anxiety also has this, like unique connection to guilt in Dissy families. I think there's like this constant back and forth and this tension between feeling guilty about certain things and then feeling anxious about that guilt. Yes. 
Shima's here to say smart things, and I'm just here to say yes and agree with her smartness. You're so smart. You're so smart. Oh, thanks. So speaking about um, cutting classes and generally avoiding things that you don't enjoy, I think anxiety has has a lot to do with, or obviously anxiety is a, it's a negative emotion. And I think a lot of people sometimes consciously and sometimes, um, or a lot of times unconsciously do things to avoid that negative feeling. You know, they may anticipate the negative feeling of, of anxiety and, and do things that will, um, that are essentially coping mechanisms. For example, procrastination. A lot of people think that procrastination is a time management issue, but it's really actually an emotion management issue. So a person who is procrastinating on something, the reason why they're procrastinating is actually because they're already forecasting or envisioning in their minds um, the negative feelings that they're going to feel when they're doing that 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 thing that they need to get done so that person will then like do anything and everything you know subconsciously not even aware will do anything to avoid that feeling and like that's kind of that subconscious mechanism that that occurs in a person is very similar to to just like all types of anxiety people do avoid social yeah people avoid social situations people will do so subconsciously do um many things to avoid you know, that feeling of anxiety. So what you're saying is it's okay for me to be skipping classes. <laughs> yeah, basically. No, I mean, I'm saying that I think... Um, JK, stay in school, kids. <laughs> stay in school, go to class. Don't go to class. Um, but yeah, I think that, I think, or I guess my, my overall point is that if anxiety isn't something that is dealt with in a healthy manner, in, in a, in a manner where you're aware and you are making very decisive, yes, when you're being decisive about how to deal with it, that can prevent, that can prevent you from just subconsciously finding coping mechanisms that are in the end extremely harmful and will hurt you in the long term. Yeah, it'll hurt you people around you we don't want that take care of your anxiety kids definitely take care of your anxiety and also i hope that after listening to this episode if anyone is having any anxiety issues that you realize that it's very normal and you know you can be unwell and normal at the same time yeah those things are not mutually exclusive you're never alone right and also um i mean anxiety it is a a psychological condition but there are also like many you know it it is I think it's important to see um, a lot of these things that we talk about a lot of mental illnesses a lot of negative emotions as like looking for holistic approaches to them because you know there are definitely a lot of things you can do to manage um, anxiety I think just properly like just good self-care you know properly taking care of yourself and your physical health is I think would help tremendously in managing anxiety so just things like getting the right amount of sleep that you need to feel rested and manage and your stress manage your stress um that's really super important you know and um just be aware and just try to make sure that you are you know fun you're every single day when you're going through things try to understand your emotions try to break them down because your emotions are not actually you these are these are things that will that you'll feel um but they will pass and so it's so so important for us to start like a process of 
managing anxiety, managing all the negative emotions that are kind of preventing us individually and as a as a culture, as a society and as a whole to really be our best selves and to really to be proud of who we are. You know, I don't I don't think that any person is really um, thinking about ways to, I guess, not live up to their potential. But anxiety definitely, definitely impacts your ability to do that. Yeah, that's a really good point too, that you're not your emotions. So just just have perspective. You're not your emotions. You're bigger than that. You know, sometimes the nature of a disorder is such that it your emotions don't make sense. I mean, emotions and logic don't often go hand in hand. And so you got to you got to have perspective. Yeah, perspective and I think knowing when to get professional help is really important. Knowing that the way you take care of yourself is going to hugely impact your um, psychological, mental health and then also kind of learning like what it is, what's you, what the the things that are causing you to experience negative emotions and what actually is just stuff that you're kind of absorbing from your family members and from your environment and, and from an overall culture that you're from you know overall communities because there are tons of things that I think a lot of people feel anxious about a lot of Dissy Americans Dissy and other Dissy people in the diaspora experience and it's not really it's not really them it's just maybe like remnants of things from the past that that their family members or their ancestors experienced and it's still gonna pop up so it's just so it's so it's up to us I think right now it's up to us to become aware of it and pretty much take control of these these things that you know hinder us in our lives well said so that concludes our episode thanks so much for tuning in we hope that you enjoyed this episode and please reach out to us if you have any thoughts or comments or stories you want to share with us or just stories about crazy ways that you have lied to your parents oh yeah just to have a social life (laughs) yeah um we want to read those funny stories we relate to them yeah so yeah reach out to us follow us on instagram and facebook at the desi condition or email us at the desi condition at gmail.com thanks so much for listening guys bye bye